Welcome to Word Journeys, a podcast about etymology and the surprising stories behind the origins of English words. This is Dallas, coming to you from Philadelphia. Today's episode will focus on a genuine etymological mystery. Sometimes the shortest and simplest words are the hardest to pinpoint, and our key word for this week is an example of that. We'll investigate the origin of the word rum, the alcoholic liquor produced from molasses or other sugarcane products. We know the exact origins of many other words denoting spirits. Vodka is from the Russian for little water. Whiskey is from Gaelic and means water of life. Both come from the Proto-Indo-European root wed and are cognate with the English words water and wet. Wine comes from the Latin word weenum, and gin comes from the Dutch yenever, which comes through French from the Latin word uniparis, meaning juniper, and referring to the liquor's chief flavoring. But the origin of rum is still a mystery. In the first part of this boozy episode, we'll investigate some of the proposed etymologies for rum, and in part two, we'll take a deep dive into the story behind another rum-related word. So, bottoms up. Before we get into the etymologies, I have two introductory points. First, I'll reiterate that unlike in many of the episodes, we don't actually know the exact origin for the word rum. Each of the proposed etymologies have arguments for and against, and the best we can do is consider each one. Second, what we do know is that the word rum entered written English in 1654, and it seems clear from the word's first appearances in other languages that the word entered English before spreading to other European languages. It referred to a very specific thing, liquor distilled from molasses. Let me explain briefly how rum is made. To get sugar from a sugarcane plant, the sugarcane is pressed and the juice is extracted. This juice is filtered to remove impurities, and then boiled to remove water, leaving a thick, syrupy mixture. As it cools, a seed of sugar crystals is introduced, and more sugar crystals form. Those crystals are removed from the mixture, and they are further refined to create granulated sugar. The leftover mixture, syrupy and still a little sugary, is called molasses, which is derived from the Latin word mel, meaning honey. Although alcoholic concoctions created from sugarcane juice have been made for a very long time, no one had created alcohol from fermenting the molasses. Not until the 17th century, when this process was discovered by slaves living in the Caribbean, and that is the source of rum. So, now that we've covered the creation process, let's get into the etymologies. Here's the first proposal. Samuel Morwood wrote an essay in 1824 listing a few possibilities for the word's origin. One was that it came from the Dutch word romer, which referred to a type of glass goblet for alcoholic drinks. But the Dutch romer probably comes from the German romer, which means Roman, and likely referred to where this kind of vessel originated. Another proposal from Morwood was that rum was an abbreviated form of another word, Maybe just the end of the Latin word saccharum, meaning sugar, and where we get the word saccharin. Or, he suggested, maybe rum came from the middle of the word aroma, or the end of iterum, a Latin word meaning again. Some of these make sense topically, but each seems unlikely as the origin, 
more like puns and less like etymological roots. This next theory was proposed by Walter William Skeet in 1910, and was supported in a 2010 article by Bo Ruthstrom. It posits that rum comes from the Malay word barum, or maybe brum, which was a type of rice liquor, or perhaps a liquor made from tapioca. Barum was then shortened to rum. A Malaysian origin isn't out of the question, because sugarcane is native to South Asia, and sugar has likely been produced there for more than two millennia. The primary evidence for this origin is comparative. Some have argued that the words tafia and ratafia, which are spirits very similar to rum, are of Malay origin, and that if tafia and ratafia come from Malay, then it's plausible that rum does as well. Tafia refers to a cheaper and quicker drink made from sugarcane juice. Instead of aging for many years in wooden barrels, as rum is, Tafia is just the distilled alcohol consumed immediately. But the origin of the word Tafia is uncertain. Some think it's from Malay, as I've mentioned, but others think it's from a Creole language of the West Indies. But regardless of its origin, it's where we get the English words taffy and toffee, which are also created from sugar and molasses. Many have found this argument compelling for its comparative treatment of spirits, but are less convinced on purely linguistic grounds. A third theory argues that rum is a shortened form of either rumbolian or rumbustian, which itself is probably just a mixture of rumbolian and combustion. The argument for this origin is that these words appear before rum in written English. Rumbolian is first attested in 1651 and refers to rum, which is also called kill devil in the same source. Rumbustian is cited meaning rum in 1652, and rum by itself first appears in 1654. But even though the word rum appears later, words might appear in written English much later than they were introduced into spoken English. And it's just as likely that rumbolian was formed from rum as it is that rum was formed from rumbolian. For instance, rumbolian could have just come from rum, the drink, plus the French bouillon, meaning a broth. There's also evidence for rumbolian meaning a tumult, but that by itself could derive from rum and not the other way around. And if rumbolian is the origin, as it may be, we're still not sure where that word comes from. So, to recap, we've had the Dutch romer glass, the Latin sugar word saccharum, the Malaysian drink barum, and the related English word rumbolian as possible origins for rum. There's one more possibility I'll explore. There was a separate word, rum, meaning good or excellent, which was first attested in English in 1567 and came from author Thomas Harmon. Thomas Harmon published a work called The Caveat for Common Cursitors, which was one of the first examples in English of what is known as rogue literature, a genre of stories about the seedy underbelly of society, of thieves and criminals. These tales were often confessionals and very descriptive, and became popular in England in the 16th and 17th centuries due to their depictions of everyday life. Harmon included a list of types of rogues, as he called them, and he also included a dictionary of what were known as cant words. Thieves can't, rogues can't, or peddlers French, as it was sometimes called, was a secret language meant to be understood only by thieves, beggars, and other members of the London underworld, 
but by no one else. And one of the cant words Harmon included in his dictionary was rum, meaning good or excellent. He even cites the phrase rum booze as meaning wine, that is, good booze. Now, this word rum may have come from the Romani word rom, meaning man. And this might make sense, because the Romani people were marginalized by mainstream English society and would have been part of this world of vagabonds. And so, this last etymology posits that the cant word for good, rum, was applied to a newly discovered alcoholic creation at some point in the 17th century. Next, we explore a type of rum made in a much, much colder climate. Stay with us. In our final story, we'll investigate the origins of another rum-related word, and that will take us far north, to Alaska. In 1867, the United States bought the Alaska Territory from Russia for a price of two cents per acre, or about $125 million in today's money. There had been a Russian presence in the area since 1741, when they began to establish trading posts in the Aleutian Islands and along the Alaska coast. The indigenous Aleuts initially resisted Russian advancement in Alaska, but they were soon overcome and were forced into colonial servitude, being the primary laborers for the Russians' trade activities. There was logging, mining, milling, and whaling, but the fur trade was by far the most profitable industry at the time. In the early 1870s, we began to hear reports from the district commissioners of disorder and lawlessness in Alaskan outposts, and the culprit was a particular alcoholic concoction. The commissioners blamed disturbances on a kind of liquor they called either Kutsnuwu or Huchinu. It takes its name from a place inhabited by the indigenous Tlingit tribe, which was called Hootsnuwu, meaning grizzly bear fort in the Tlingit language. This refers to modern-day Admiralty Island, which is adjacent to the current state capital of Juneau, and in fact has the highest density of brown bears in North America. So what was this Hootsnuwu stuff? When did it begin, and how was it made? The indigenous tribes of Alaska didn't have the knowledge to make distilled spirits in the 1860s, and many accounts claim that it was a deserter from a whaling ship, or possibly a discharged soldier, who taught them. Some accounts say a soldier named Edward Doyle first introduced the technology to the area. Others claim it was someone named Brown. But regardless of who introduced it, here are the basics of how it was made. A mix of yeast and other ingredients, called a mash, would be made in a heated old kerosene can. After fermentation had occurred and the kerosene can contained a mixture of alcohol and everything else, they wanted to separate out just the alcohol for consumption. The alcohol was evaporated out by heating the mixture to a low temperature, because alcohol is a lower boiling point than water. The alcoholic vapor then passes up through a tube, which is known as the worm. In the Huchinu process, either a musket barrel or a hollow pipe made from the root of a kind of seaweed was used as the worm. The worm is made cool, either by packing snow into it or surrounding it with cool stream water, and this causes the vapor from the alcohol to condense and liquefy, separating it out from the rest of the mixture and siphoning it into another container, often another old oil can, 
and this resulting distilled spirit was the Huchinu. Spirits today go through a number of distillations to purify the mixture and increase the alcohol content, but Huchinu just had one distillation, so it was relatively impure, and by all accounts, it wasn't at all appealing in terms of taste. It was called impure and monstrously vile in one account, while another account in 1897 called it weirdly horrible. A chemist at the University of Pennsylvania got his hands on some in the 1890s, and wrote that it was yellow, with an astringent aftertaste. He analyzed the alcohol content and determined that it was 16.3%, and surmised that its bad reputation was not because it was particularly strong, only that it was highly illegal, and that people probably consumed a lot of it immediately after production out of fear of being caught. Later, it became common to get the alcohol by fermenting potatoes and adding enzymes to convert the starches to sugars. But when it was originally taught to the Tlingit people, they relied on cheap molasses in the mash as its sugar base, which technically made Huchinu a kind of rum. A common recipe for the mash consisted of one gallon of molasses, five pounds of flour, one half box of yeast powder, and water. Huchinu remained a cheaper, stronger, and thus more popular alternative to the alcohol supplied by Alaska's governing body. It was still often cited as the source of the region's difficulties, and blame was placed on the indigenous tribes, who were thought to be the only group producing this liquor, and who were unfairly singled out for their apparent drunkenness. There was even a push to curb molasses imports into Alaska, but ultimately the government thought this would have no effect. In 1896, gold was discovered in the Klondike region of the Yukon, close to the Alaska Territory, and in the next three years, over 100,000 prospectors flocked to the region seeking fortune. Alaska saw the influx of thousands of settlers, and even after the Klondike gold rush had finished in 1899, gold was discovered in Nome, across the state on the Bering Strait. Permanent settlements such as Fairbanks sprung up, and a railway was constructed to Nome. With all of these new people in the area, demand for Huchinu was high, and the word also began to gain currency among prospectors as a slang term for liquor. These prospectors brought it back to the continental United States, where it began to be used more and more, and was abbreviated from Huchinu to Hooch. The first recorded use of Huchinu was in 1877, and the shorter Hooch was first attested in 1897. During the Prohibition era, Hooch came to refer to any type of liquor, usually illicit, and over time it came to refer exclusively to whiskey or moonshine. This usage was first attested in 1927, and the word hooch still carries this connotation today. Its origins in the Tlingit language, in early Alaskan settlement, and in rum, not whiskey, are mostly forgotten. I'll finish with two related mini-stories. Here's the first. Ever wonder why the alcoholic content of a drink is called its proof? Well, the words prove and proof come from the Latin verb probo, meaning to test or prove. Early liquor makers needed a way to test how strong their creations were, and in the 17th century, it was common practice to wet some gunpowder with liquor. If the gunpowder could still be ignited, it was generally thought to have a high enough alcohol content, but if it failed to ignite, then the liquor was too diluted. 
the gunpowder sparking was proof that there was enough alcohol. Second, I should mention the word grog, which referred to rum that was diluted with water, and is the source of the English word groggy. It is said that the practice of diluting rum originated with British Admiral Edward Vernon, who had the nickname Old Grog, because he wore a cloak that was made from a fabric called grogram. Edward Vernon, aka Old Grog, served during the War of Jenkins' Ear, and was the commanding officer of Lawrence Washington, the older half-brother of George Washington. When Lawrence inherited his family's ancestral Virginia plantation, he renamed it in honor of his commanding officer, and thus it bore, and still bears, the name Mount Vernon. I want to try something new this week, and leave you all with a word puzzle. If you come up with the answer to the question, you can write to us through the contact page at our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com, and you might get a shout-out during next week's episode. Here's the question. We spent all episode talking about drinks. Can you think of two English words of the same length that differ by only one letter, so for instance like cat and bat, that could both be synonyms for drink? And, as a piece of advice, you may want to think outside the box. I'll give you the answer at the end of the next episode. Good luck. That's it for this week. If you would like more information on this topic, or if you want to see a list of words that were covered in the episode, just visit our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com. There you'll find a contact page to write in with questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a good rating or a good review on iTunes. Musical selections in this episode come from the Advent Chamber Orchestra and Kevin McLeod. This is Dallas Simons. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.